When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Glamorous Trash. I'm your host, Chelsea DeMontes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. And today's episode is a Glamorous Trash Talk episode, the second in our series I am calling Book Talk, where I talk to an author about their book and ask them five questions I would love to be asked and five questions I would hate to be asked. (laughs) And here it comes up. And today's guest, you're going to be very excited for her. She is your rich BFF your favorite Wall Street girly. She has a podcast. She is a TikToker, an influencer. She used to work at BuzzFeed. She used to work on Wall Street. And I added this to her bio because I saw it on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. She was recently named one of Forbes' top creators. And she wrote a book called Rich AF. And Vivian too. Hi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. How cool was that Forbes thing? Like when you heard, were you shook? Okay, so this is the second year and um, I made the list the first year and made it again the second year. And let me tell you, the second year almost felt even better because I was so scared I was going to get kicked off the list. But I was like, oh, I'm two for two. Like, you know. Sustained growth. (laughs) That's a word I learned from reading your book. (laughs) Growth, financial growth. That is really cool. And yeah, I think like what an accomplishment. And I'm so excited I get to talk to you. So will you tell everyone just sort of like the pitch of your book and when it comes out? Yeah. So Historically, finances have really only catered to old, rich, white men in Patagonia vests. And unfortunately for me, I did not fit any of those descriptors. So I felt it was really time for us to have a finance book that spoke to this new generation, this new socioeconomic climate. Um, There were some amazing money books in my parents' generation, but we needed a book that addressed how there's now a student debt crisis, how wages have stagnated, how housing and education are now 10x the price that they used to be. And frankly, things are just a little harder for everyone than they were back in the good old days. So this money book is essentially a roadmap, a step-by-step that you can read from page one to the very last page and feel more confident, more capable, and just more ready to take on that financial journey. We cover things like how to ask for more money at work, how to budget better, how to save your money most effectively and quickly. And then the most important part, how to invest early and often, exactly how to do it, literally so simply that I think you know a fifth grader reading this book could do it. And just overall financial wellness and how to get yourself to a place where you feel really, really good about your relationship with money. Oh, that is, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I need- all of that. Okay. So let's start our 10 questions. Okay. Who was the first person in your life who you gave the book to, to read? My book agent. Fun book fact. Agent. And she yeah. read the book in two and a half hours. And I don't know if, first off, it's like a 300 something page book. Like you're getting your money's worth in this thing. And yeah. she read it in two and a half hours and she texted me back. She's like, okay, these are great. These are like what I have to think. Like, this is my feedback. I was like, wait, 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 did you finish the book? And she's like, yeah. 
And I was like, is there something wrong with me? Because this would have taken me two months to read. Like I am a slow reader. Um, But she's the best. She's been a guiding light. She was the one who held my hand through the process of finding a great publishing house to work with. The one who really helped guide me when it came to writing my proposal. So it was only natural that she was the first person to read it. That makes sense. And also I feel like given that her job is book agent, like I'm a TV writer and Mm -hmm. I can read a script in minutes because you just kind of, you're going through and you know what you're looking for and you can already give feedback. So that's really funny to hear though. Two and a half hours. Um, Wow. What a record. Okay. Second question. Who is a financial influencer in this space who you think is straight scamming, doing us dirty every time you see their content, you're like, God damn it. Um, Okay. This one's actually really easy. I have a personal beef with Dave Ramsey because he, I feel like he really worked for the generation above mine in that his advice is very much you're the problem, you're irresponsible, shame, shame, judge, judge. Uh, he makes comments like, the, if you have debt, the only time you should see the inside of a restaurant is if you work at one. You should eat rice and... <laughs> I, I know, it's like so messed up. Wow. Um, he says things like, debt is bad. And if you have debt, you should feel bad. And you should be eating rice and beans until all of your debt is paid off. And Okay, honestly, that's a pretty good meal. It's like a complete protein if you're a vegetarian, rice and beans. I'll give Dave Ramsey that. (laughs) And that's really icky to me because there are so many factors beyond people's control. Unfortunately, the number one reason for bankruptcy in this country is medical debt. How fucked up is that? Like, no one chooses to get cancer. No one chooses to get sick. So to say people who have debt are inherently bad, I think is just, just, it, it rubs me so wrong. Um, yeah. And you're ignoring like all the systems that right. led a person Correct. to be in debt that like we are not in control of, you know, systemic racism yeah. and poverty. <laughs> and I also just think that like maybe the finger wagging worked back in the day, but it really doesn't work now. I think, fortunately, I would like to think millennials, Gen Zers, Gen Alpha, we have a level of self-respect and self-confidence that we are not motivated by negativity anymore. We want to be shown how we can improve, but not told that we are terrible people. And I just, I think shame and judgment have no place in personal finance because it's more likely to shut someone off from making the right decisions than it is to motivate them to make the right ones. And last but not least, he's just wrong. Like debt is not morally good or bad. It is a tool. There is a reason why when poor people borrow money, we call it debt. And when rich people borrow money, we call it leverage. And we put them on the cover of Time Magazine. The way we talk about people who have money and people who don't and their relationship to their finances is so fundamentally different. I just think it's really messed up that we are essentially using marketing to feed the rich and starve the poor. Well said. Okay. What was the weirdest (laughs) note you got from your editor in the process? Mm. You know what? I was really surprised at the fact that she wanted more strange stories. I thought, yeah. So Obviously, that, that was my favorite part, too, by the way, because it's so hard for me to just money stuff. I, all of a sudden, like, I can't think like I've lost my reading comprehension. And 
to be reading about like a time you cut your finger off. <laughs> I was like, yay, I'm having fun. And then I could like learn about savings. Yeah, exactly. And this is also something that's like deep in my psyche because when I worked on Wall Street, I had a horrible manager tell me I was too girly and that being silly was a bad thing. And that, you know, I think for a while I thought to be taken seriously as an author and to be taken seriously as a financial educator I had to speak and explain things in a certain way. So with my book, there are certain parts that I want to be really clear and concise. These are the terms. This is the glossary at the end. So you understand. But my editor actually said, hey, can we get like another like insane story for this section? And I'm like, did she just put the phrase insane story in the feedback (laughs) document? But, you know, she was just looking for more fun anecdotes. And I think... When someone looks at me and is like, oh, this girl is good with her money. She made her first million at 27. The assumption is that I've always been good with money. And that's not true. And so for me to be able to tell stories about all the times that I messed up, I think it almost humanizes the experience and reminds people that no matter how many mistakes they've made, they can always make smarter choices for the future. And hopefully this book will help them do that. I love that. And I loved that one of your dedications in the book was to the guy who told you you were too girly to succeed (laughs) in finance. I loved it, obviously, for many reasons, but I was told almost verbatim the exact same thing. But instead of finance, it was comedy. Yeah. And he said, I dress too much like a sorority girl, which is also funny because no sorority would have come within a hundred feet of me. (laughs) They would have been like, don't even let her in whatever the opening phase is. Like, so, but just the idea that like lipstick and whatever was enough to like. Like what the fuck does lipstick or having lash extensions or a great head of hair have to do with you being funny or being a good writer or any of those things? Because frankly, I would like it if all the comedians I watched happen to dress a little better. You know, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of the black t-shirt jeans combo. Like mix it up. Like I saw Heather McMahon's recent special where she had a full on sequin purple jumpsuit. And I'm like, man, a lot of the, a lot of the guys in the business would, would get more views if they had better outfits. Like I just, think they got to step it up. They do. Also, Eddie Murphy classically had this head to toe red leather jumpsuit. Yeah. And I'm like, winner, we got to send dudes back to like, yeah. make a statement. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this is my question for you. What was that guy's full name and address? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> per the advice of my attorney, I will not be sharing that on this podcast. <laughs> However, the people who I did work with on wall street, my mentor, my friends to this day, everybody knows exactly who it was. And, mm. um, for what it's Did worth. you send him a copy of the book? Do you think he saw it? I know for a fact because I have been profiled in the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Financial Times, Barron's, just to name a few, not like we're counting, but I know for <laughs> a fact this man was reading about me on his Bloomberg terminal. So I'm like, isn't that funny? Isn't that rich? You are reading about how much I hate you on your Bloomberg terminal, sitting for 14 hours at that same desk job while I am, you know, on the Today Show, I'm on TV, I'm ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. I get to do these things because of you telling me that I wasn't good enough and look at how wrong you are. I I feel power from that. Like I'm yeah. not you and I'm getting like the endorphin hit yeah. of rush of like, <laughs> as if that was me, like that sounds so nice. Okay, this feels like a good time to take a quick break. 
Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. Let's continue the conversation. Okay, two more money questions and then I have some other ones. So you had this great story at the beginning of the book about a friend who read all of the Monopoly instructions Mm -hmm. and found these loopholes that made it really easy to play the game. And you're like, that's the same with finances. Like you just got to read the whole instruction manual or or have someone explain it to you like you. And what this is, maybe this has, doesn't have an answer, but like Every time I read stuff, and I've been reading these books since I was a kid because we grew up very poor. So mm-hmm. I was always like, Susie Orman is going to save me. She's yeah. going to teach me something. And like, I'll fix this like, un- like this never ending anxiety mm-hmm. I feel throughout my veins. And every time it hit my brain, it just goes like, 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 I'm like, I could, I could read the Monopoly manual and I would come out with nothing <laughs> because I'm a fucking mess. And so- And even now, like, I I definitely have poor brain. I talk about this with my friends all the time. Like, I have poor brain of, like, um, in the way where, like, I know I'm holding myself back. What do you do for people who are like, I can read all this, but also, like, I'm going to melt into the floor. Like, I can't can't process because, I guess, probably trauma. Yeah. (laughs) Props trauma? Props trauma. Um, So it's kind of a one-two punch here, right? So first off, I mentioned in my book, it's not just enough to read the manual because it's boring, it's clunky, and frankly, you have no idea how to apply it. It's not enough to understand the financial rules. You need to have a financial strategy, and there are very few people 
who have access to strategy. We all have access to the rules, right? Like you have a smartphone, you can Google it. But the strategy type of thing is something that rich dads have passed on to their rich sons on golf courses. And if you didn't have that type of family or you didn't have that type of access, you were not getting that education. We certainly haven't gotten it in public schools. So one, you should not feel bad for not having that, but it's not too late to learn it. And that pivots us into kind of point two of most of your habits uh, around money are solidified before the age of seven. And <laughs> oh, no. no. Yeah, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, I think it comes down to a lot of things that we've probably witnessed as kids. Like, I grew up the child of Chinese immigrants. We were always feeling like the other shoe was going to drop. My mom still to this day washes Ziploc bags to reuse them. And when you see, you know, your parents growing up and it's hard to put food on the table or they're making comments about how your neighbors are irresponsible spenders or whatever, like all of that gets put into your little kid brain. And what I like to say is that, you know, as an adult, especially one that has, you know, potentially changed her financial situation, like you're watching a different movie now, but you're still expecting the plot to end the same way the first one did. And yeah, wow. what we need to do is recognize that that is not your story anymore. Your story is, is allowed to be whatever the fuck you want it to be. And it truly just takes one, a little bit of education, some an afternoon of dedicated time to make some deliberate and thoughtful choices because nobody is too stupid or too poor or grew up too broke to get it right now. I think we have a lot of trauma that many of us as adults have to work through. I had, and still frankly have, present tense, pretty bad scarcity mindset when it comes to certain things. I am the same person who will still spend six hours researching the difference between a, you know, $60 pair of jeans and an $80 pair of jeans to try and like convince myself the cheaper pair is better. And my fiance asked me the other day, he was like, Vivian, was that really a good use of your time? Because, you know, your business is making millions every year. Your time per hour is so expensive. And look at how much time you just wasted trying to decide if an extra $20 would have been worth it. It would have been easier and smarter and a better financial decision to just pick one and move on with your life. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, an experience where I had to kind of sit down and think like, my values are different now. My money looks different now. And I am allowed to make different decisions than the ones my parents had to make because I have the ability to make decisions I can make now. I love that. I got to go to therapy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question. If you had to make out with one of them, the rich dad or the poor dad? Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my God. (laughs) By the way, I read this book so many times as a kid, just being like, teach me, only to grow up and be like, both of them were losers. But you have to pick one, Vivian. Which one? I guess I would say I would make out with rich dad. But can I can I caveat this? I would rather make out with the dad who values a dollar the same way I do. Okay. I think that's a great answer because I say this because when I met my now fiance, 
we were both baby Wall Streeters. We were, sure, we were making a lot of money, but we were also working 16 to 18 hour days. Um, We didn't have a lot in savings because it was our first year in the city. When we took our first vacation together, we uh, took planes, trains, connecting flights, cars, whatever, just to get to the destination. Like we didn't have anything. And we had the same outlook on money and what it could be used for and how it could be used to like improve our lives. And since then, we've been incredibly transparent with each other about money. And of all the things that we have fought about, money has never been one of them. And I am so proud about that because money and sex rank is number one and two on why couples fight. If I can take one of the top two reasons couples fight and make it a non-issue, that's 50% of our fights are gone there, right there. And so I think your relationship is much improved if you can find a partner who doesn't necessarily need to be a rich person, doesn't necessarily need to be a broke person. It doesn't matter if they have debt, doesn't matter if they, you know, have an inheritance. It matters if you guys value the dollar the same way. That's a cool answer. I'm I'm glad I asked that weird question. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You once posted something about, uh, it was about something else, but a, a piece of your caption was like, being an internet person isn't always the most fun. Yeah. And I relate to that. I mean, you you experience it on a high scale, but I I also, I think this year especially have been yeah. kind of going through a hard time with mm-hmm. it. So what's the worst part of it? And have you ever thought of like, how can I leave the internet? Yeah. So the best and worst part are the people on the internet. So On the best part, it's like, I get comments that are like, you are the reason I have a Roth IRA. I use your exact script from that video. Guess what? I just got a $20,000 raise at work. Like, girl, I'm, I'm getting an extra shot this weekend at the bar because of you. And like, there is nothing that makes me feel better than that. Because for someone to be able to give me 60 seconds of their time and then make an extra $20,000, like that's, you know, life-changing money. That's like truly a a completely different apartment. That is a different investment that gives you something to really work for. But I will also say there are some idiots on the internet and these are like, so like these people are so unbelievably dense and dogmatic. They are so dumb and so confident and so loud. And these are the people who will make comments like, well, this video only applies to like 50% of the population. And I'm like, and like, I can help 50% of the population. I'm sorry that every video doesn't apply to every single person, or I'm sorry that this video didn't apply to your one weird niche, like, you know, edge case. I'm sorry, but like, it's not for you. Just keep scrolling. But like people leave me nasty comments all the time being like, this video didn't apply to me. It's like, okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I work for you? No, I do not. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I think the thing I find difficult is like, even if the comment makes no sense or is illogical, it's not something you have to give your time to, to still have to endure it or take it in for those few moments. I don't know if you're sensitive or not, but like I'm sensitive. And so even just, even just reading it and having to have your brain be like, okay, that's, it's just, you know, not, uh, that doesn't apply to me or this person that's about them still like takes it out of you a little bit. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I'm first off, I'm a baby back bitch. Like I will cry at anything. Um, and for me, I think the coolest and smartest phrase, I don't even know who said it, but they're like, your opinion of me is none of my business except now. I think it's RuPaul actually. Was it? (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> um, like your opinion of me is none of my business, but now it is because people's opinions of you are so. Oh my God. Yes. It is your business, especially on TikTok. Visual and like abundantly clear. And like people will yeah. say the nastiest shit that they would never, ever say to your face, would never have the nuts to say to you. And now people feel so emboldened because they get to be this anonymous profile behind a keyboard and talk about the way you look and the way you dress and the way you talk and the way you sound and every little thing about you that you have put so much time and thought into can be nitpicked at. And it's especially hard when your entire brand, and in my case, is your face, is you. Like I am the brand. So when people make negative comments, I take it personally. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. The internet is fun. Okay, three more <laughs> questions. If you had to write another book this year mm. or make 100 TikToks, which one would you do? Here's the thing. I could make the 100 TikToks and then the book would basically be written. <laughs> yeah, okay, good point. So people what? ask me this yeah. all the time. They're like, how long did it take you to write the book? Was that part hard? And I'm like, not really, because I had a 200, 300 page single spaced Word document with every video I've ever made with every podcast I've ever, you know, outlined for every YouTube I've ever recorded. And a lot of the book, all I had to do was copy and paste those 60 second scripts in and then just flesh them out because, you know, instead of having 60 seconds, now I have unlimited page count and then my editor would just end up cutting some of it. So it, it wasn't actually that hard because I did a lot of the hard work ahead of actually signing for the book deal. That's also a really great way to look at like um, podcasting and social media of like you're workshopping in a way, like you're workshopping all of it for the book. Reduce, okay, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Reduce, reuse, <laughs> recycle. Okay. So in the book, you say investing is how you get rich. Like you mm-hmm. can't save your way to rich. You yeah. have to invest your way to rich. So to me, mm-hmm. absolute, uh, it's, I am not stupid, but my brain will become stupid the moment I ask you this question. What is the one thing <laughs> if you're like, Chelsea, just do one thing. Yeah. Which, what do I do? (laughs) Okay, so the one thing I think everyone should consider investing in, if you only have, you know, 10 seconds, whatever, is a target date investment fund. So all of us at some point are going to need to retire. You're going to get too old. You're not going to want to work and your body and your brain likely can't keep working. And how a target date investment fund works is there's a person at a desk somewhere and they are rebalancing what is in this basket of investments, okay? So you're buying more than one thing, but instead of buying like one Kit Kat, you're buying a multi-pack of Halloween candy. So you get a bunch of stuff. And the stuff is dependent on your age. So you figure out the year that you're gonna turn 60 or 65, whatever you choose, um, doesn't really make a huge difference. And for me, I would turn 60, roughly around 2055. And so I would invest my money into a 2055 target date retirement fund. And as I get older, that portfolio or that basket of investments would consistently get updated to fit my risk tolerance. Reason Mm -hmm. being, when you're younger, you can tolerate more risk because you have a longer time horizon before you need that money back. Whereas if you're 40 or 50, you're pushing, you know, I'm 57, like your time horizon is very short before you're going to need that money. So the investments are going to be a bit more conservative, lower risk, but also lower return, 
Whereas when you're younger, you can have higher risk, higher return investments. And this is just a great way to buy one thing and have it essentially be a really good fit for you for the rest of your life. And it's the investment fund. It's the one thing. It's a target date investment fund. Target day investment fund. The other thing I took from that is I should eat more Halloween candy. Yeah, love. You just reminded me I've got some in the cabinet. Um, okay, <laughs> thank you, thank you. This is uh, my last question. So I I have a book coming out in June. Mm-hmm. To me, any author listening, any person who is thinking about putting themselves out there, starting that account, what advice do you have for putting yourself out there and putting a book out there? And and as you're living this moment, what what would you want to impart? Ooh. First and foremost, write a really, really good book, one that you're really proud to stand by, and then reread it. Uh, if you can, have your publisher let you record the audiobook early because you'll catch typos and then go into a mental spiral in the studio when you find the typo because your book's already at the printer. Not that that happened to me or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would also say it's really important to make sure that you are finding the right audience. So, uh, speaking really dedicated to who you want to speak to, not every book is going to be for every person, but when you find the right audience, hone in on them, hone in on things that they care about, offer them freebies that they care about and incentivize them to buy your book and also just support you. So I think it's just important to write a good book, make sure you find a good audience and then tackle them with things that you know, they're going to be interested in. Vivian, this was, that was incredible advice. Thank I, you. I, I like, sometimes I was expecting just because most people would be like, you know, I don't know, believe in yourself. And you're like, all right, you know, I'll try. That was really <laughs> actionable. Oh God, I love a to-do list like that. I really love that. I will say I am terribly practical and as is my partner, like both of us, when we buy each other, like Christmas gifts are like, how often is the other person going to use this? Like we are so, so like such realists, it's almost disgusting, but I don't really believe in the woo woo and the manifestation and all of that because that doesn't work unless you have a plan. You can't manifest wealth and manifest greatness if you don't have a one through five of things you're actually deciding to choose to do. So I like to have the practical built out and then you can actually do the believe in yourself part. <laughs> I love that so much. Will you tell everyone just your handles, your podcast, anything where they can find you and follow you? Yes. You can find me all over social media as your rich BFF. My podcast is titled net worth and chill. So if you want to hear me filibuster, uh, and interview financial guests and talk about all things money, you can find me anywhere you listen to podcasts. And once again, my book is titled Rich AF, The Winning Money Mindset That'll Change Your Life. And you can pre-order it today at richaf.me. Thank you so much for being here. This was great. And thank you so much for your book. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for this week's episode. If you have something to say, you want to talk back to this episode or you have a question or maybe you think you have a difference of opinion, join the book club. The book club is on Patreon. We have a chat and there are so many cookies in the chat. We talk about the episodes. We talk about book recommendations. We just talk about our lives. We break things down. It's super fun. It's on Patreon. You can join for as little as $1 or $5 a month and then just download the mobile app and you can chat all day long with us. Also, if you join Patreon, all the episodes are ad-free. So we started running ads. If you don't like that, join our Patreon. We send you a podcast feed with ad-free episodes and everyone comes to your phone. You would also get all of the bonus episodes and there are so many great bonus episodes. You get all of that when you join our Patreon. And if you're a super hardcore cookie, we have a live book club on Zoom 
once a month. It's on Sundays. It's so fun. Sometimes we dress up. We chat about the episodes. No reading is required. If you want to read along, it's so fun. But also, most people just listen to the episode. And then we chat and hang out and check in. And a lot of really deep friendships have formed. It's the best. A big thank you to our podcast producer, Kate Downing, our executive producer, Jordan Moncada, our sound engineer, Marcus Hom, and our amazing assistant, Jaren Padre. I also want to thank our friends over at Pattern Brands. They are our product partner and they keep me and my guests just rolling in the cutest tiny spoons and candles and so many other cool things. And Paquetto, I genuinely love our product partners. I love them so much. So go check them out. Everything is linked in the show notes. And if you have questions, go to the Patreon chat lounge and I'll see you there. 